Hello, mamas. Laura here, and today we are chatting about how to navigate conversations with your birth team, how to work together as a team, ask good questions, and manage interventions that may be presented to you. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. Today, we're kicking off with the third episode in our Ask the Midwife series, chatting all about asking questions with your birth team and managing interventions. So in this episode, we'll cover how to respectfully ask questions so that you gain proper informed consent, but without feeling like it's an us versus them situation with your birth team. We'll also chat about how to be an active participant in staff handovers, a script that you could use when being presented with certain birth interventions, and the importance of language when it comes to birth and the birthing environment. Now, this is episode three of a six-part Ask the Midwife series with the amazing Beth Ryan, our resident midwife and childbirth educator. You can find out more about Beth and check out her incredible Instagram account by visiting at birthwithbeth. And if you missed it, make sure you go back and listen to the first two episodes in this podcast series where we chat about the importance of stimulating the labor hormone, oxytocin, and laboring at home for as long as possible, plus how to create a beautiful birth environment once you do arrive at hospital. Now, there is so much amazing content coming up in this Ask the Midwife series. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so you don't miss out. In this Ask the Midwife series, we'll be covering the things to consider when setting up a postpartum support plan, the practical steps you should take to make sure you're not overwhelmed after birth, questions to ask and preferences to know about when it comes to C-section birth, inductions, vaginal examinations, the pros and cons of both, and so much more. We also have a bonus episode exclusive only for Pregnancy Posse members where Beth gives us her top three essential items to pack in your hospital bag, ways in which your partner can best support you during birth, managing a posterior labor, and the lowdown on epidurals. Now, remember this entire podcast series and all our other podcast series, along with any of our exclusive member-only content, is all live right now inside the Pregnancy Posse. So if you'd love to access all the bonus content and listen to or watch this entire podcast series right now, rather than waiting for future episodes to come out, then go and check out The Pregnancy Posse. I have taken my years of experience helping pregnant and postnatal women as a women's health physiotherapist and made this accessible to every wonderful woman online inside the Pregnancy Posse. So when you join the Pregnancy Posse, I will personally guide you week by week through your pregnancy with safe weekly workouts tailored to your exact week of pregnancy. I also do a weekly Q&A session where I answer all of your burning questions and there is a wonderful community forum where Posse members all support each other, introduce themselves and ask wonderful questions. Plus, we have an extensive resources library to help you avoid Googling all your symptoms. Now, I would love to help you have a healthy, active, pain-free pregnancy. So just head over to thepregnancyposse.com to see what The Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. Now, let's get into episode three of our six-part Ask the Midwife series. I hope you love this chat with Beth when we talk about navigating conversations and interventions with your birth team. Enjoy. So let's let's talk about now intervention so we've spoken Mm. about laboring at home we've spoken about creating like the ideal hospital environment 
Yeah. Let's talk about how do we, how do women and their partners approach the topic of interventions? And I know you have some really great information on your Instagram about ways to bring up your questions or your concerns, but without becoming really defensive where it feels like an us versus them sort of relationship. So could you talk us through how you would suggest someone manage that? Yeah. So I think you've just kind of nailed it that you want to avoid the us versus them because at the end of the day, it's not that someone, whether you feel like it or not, it's not that someone's actively trying to derail your birth plans. It's that they have trained or been exposed to a school of thought that they genuinely believe that this is the right way forward, whether that's right or wrong. I'm not saying that that's right, but that is kind of where they're coming from. So they're probably pitching to you a care plan that in their mind, they're like, safe mum, safe baby, tick, Mm. like done. I don't know what more you want. Um, And you're kind of like, well, hang on, you know, I've read X, Y, Z, or I've heard this, you know, or that just in my gut just doesn't feel right. And that's not what I want. Um, And you're coming at it from very, very different different perspectives so rather than just going in and being like I completely reject what you're saying and then them go well you're being silly I don't you know I I don't agree with this plan I'm going to write down that you've declined medical advice that's where we can get really um it can just be really tense and really Mm. awful and anyone who's worked you know I feel for those people who who are in that scenario because they're trying desperately to let their oxytocin flow and they feel like they're working with people who are not allowing them to do that so that's a really something that we really want to avoid basically Mm. so rather than that what I kind of say is go into it being genuinely curious, uh, approach approach it from a position of genuine curiosity. And if somebody suggests to you, we'll use, an, we'll use induction as, a, as an example. If you're at your 39-week appointment and someone says to you, um, Laura, your baby is on the bigger side, I think it's best that since you're 39 weeks that we just get on with it and we, we have an induction. And, you know, this is the first you've heard for all you know, you've had a really low risk, um, healthy, easy pregnancy. Um, and your gut just goes, what, like an induction? Like, I don't really want an induction. I feel like everything's going well. Rather than saying, no, I completely disagree with that. Um, I, it's just a flat no. The best thing that to do is say, do you mind explaining your concerns and why what's changed with your concern? Because, um, you know, I've been seeing you every week now for the last couple of weeks and you haven't said anything about a big baby and, um, you know, I'm just a little bit confused. And then, you know, wait for them to explain. And if they say, oh, just in my experience after 39 weeks, babies get big, then, you know, that's a very vague answer. Whereas if they come back to you and say, Looking at your chart here, I'll show you, we can see that, you know, the, the fundal height is gradually increasing and, you know, based on your last growth scan, these are some concerns. The next step would be to then say, can you explain to me the risk of, of why is a big baby a problem? And big baby is just an example, but it's a common one. So why is X an issue for you? What's concerning you? And kind of try to unpack their thinking and ask for evidence. So say, do you mind explaining to me the research that's that's informing your, your recommendation? Um, and then, you know, if they say that they've found, you know, X amount of babies and, and these outcomes, you can say, and can you explain how that relates to me and my pregnancy and my baby? So trying to be really, really specific and just trying to understand, is this an evidence-based recommendation or is this something that's like, you know, an anecdotal 
um, maybe they're going on their experience or they're working on a hunch and you're kind of thinking, well, that doesn't really feel like a solid enough reason for intervention. So I think, yeah, coming from it, coming at it from a position of genuine curiosity is good and really trying to understand and appreciate their knowledge and then say, saying, okay, great, like I've taken on your knowledge and, and your expertise and now I want you to take on my concerns and saying what I'm worried about is X, Y, Z. And, you know, I'm worried that if I have an induction that that might lead to other intervention and what I really want to avoid is this, having a really open discussion. If at the end of that discussion you don't feel heard and if you feel dismissed at all or if you still feel like you're being pushed into something that doesn't feel right, asking for a second opinion and you can do this in both the public and the private even if you have a private obstetrician if you get to the pointy end and there's some things being suggested that just doesn't sit right with you or that doesn't resonate with with your goals for labor and birth and, and early parenthood then just say look I'd, I'd love to seek a second opinion um can can i can we reschedule an, another appointment in a few days because i'm just going to do some research and Asking for time, basically, you don't, you know, unless it's really time sensitive and it will be very clear, you know, the only things that are really, really time sensitive are if, you know, your baby's heart rate suddenly changes or something in labour, that's a different scenario. But if you're sitting in an appointment, you don't have to agree to anything on the spot. You can say, thank you so much for that conversation. I'm glad that you can share your recommendations with me and that I've had an opportunity to share my concerns with you. I think I'd like to go away and think about this. Mm -hmm. And I think where people get, get nervous is that they don't want to seem pushy and they don't want to seem like they're rejecting, um, you know, expertise or guidance, professional guidance. But you're not saying no. You're just saying thank you. I'm just going to take some time and you can go and chat to a midwife. You can go and chat to another, another obstetrician. You can have a chat to your girlfriends if you think that that's a valuable, credible way to get information. And I think when you're making, when you're doing your own research, it's important to kind of like triangulate a little bit. So rather than taking one thing at face value, you know, unpacking whatever the recommendation is and seeing if that's echoed across a few different sources. Because if a second obstetrician and a midwife go, yeah, that sounds pretty feasible, that sounds like something that's common in practice, then you might feel a bit safer in taking on that intervention. Whereas if it's like, oh, you know, I don't really think that that is, you know, something that we would routinely do there's no real evidence of compromise for mums and babies if you continue the pregnancy a really good example sorry I feel like I'm not articulating this properly a really good example is if yesterday I did a Q&A and someone said to me my baby's posterior so for those who are listening and you don't know a baby who's posterior is that their spine is on um, your back so it can be more difficult to labour, but absolutely possible. Some babies just get into posterior positions. It's not a big deal. And she said, my obstetrician has suggested an induction for the, the indication being posterior. And I was really stumped because I was like, am I missing something? Like, am I missing some current evidence that, like, I've never heard of this. This is not an indication. And so I just responded saying, look, I've never heard of this, but I'm going to shout out and ask two of my midwifery colleagues. And then two more people came back and said, there's no evidence for that. So that's a really good example of when you look to multiple sources where you can come to a really clear conclusion um, rather than just taking one thing at face value. I love that so much. I think that's a really powerful way to 
remind women that it's okay to make an informed choice because I think a lot of women feel pushy if they just ask questions. So it's yeah. not even just saying no, but just asking a question and questioning the doctor or the midwife and feeling like they're being a nuisance. I know a lot of women talk about, I don't want to be that person. That, I know, it's um, such a shame. Yeah, that's asking questions, but it's like, well, no, 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 that's how you make an informed choice because then after that conversation you can go, okay, well, thank you. You've given me now this information I didn't have before and I now understand why you want to do that intervention. So Yeah, and I think, like, it's such a funny headspace that we've gotten ourselves into and obviously it's lots of external pressures that have brought us here, but you would never feel pushy. Like if you were buying a car or a house and you just were like, no, thanks, real estate agent. I know that you're the expert in this area, but this house just doesn't feel right for us or that car is out of our budget or whatever. We would never feel bad about being like, no, I'm not going to take on every recommendation. But suddenly when it comes to our bodies, we feel like we have to just surrender all control when it's okay to say, no, thank you. I'm just going to have a think and I'll come back to you with my answer when I'm ready. That's, Mm. that's fine. That's not being pushy. That's being informed. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's, and the way you said it, like it'd be so hard to be defensive about that. Like it's such a collaborative approach. So let's Mm. work together for the best outcomes. You are looking out for my safety and I'm looking out for my, you know, uh like wants and wishes let's let's meet in the middle here it doesn't have to be all the way your way all the way my way there can definitely be that collaborative approach i really love that so let's chat about um shared care multiple providers a lot of women will be seeing change in shifts different midwives coming in and out different doctors helping them so how would you recommend someone navigate the transitions between different providers Yes. So I guess from a, um, this is, this is really common in the public system, just because of the way that we work, we work in shifts and different teams of doctors and midwives will rotate. So, um, I think if you are working with a midwife that you've got a really good um, rapport with and you know that the the end of their shift is is near, um, having, and this is where your partner can do this for you, but communicate to them, we've really liked X, you know, we've really liked that you supported us to stay in the shower or we've really liked the way that you've set the room up. Do you mind putting that in your handover that this is something that we want to continue? Or, you know, do you mind just putting in your handover, reminding the, the midwife that's coming on that our plan is eventually to get an epidural so we'd be like, like to be guided in the in the timing of that. So just communicating what you want to be handed over because we, for those who aren't familiar with shift workers, we do a formal handover where we say, um, Laura, in room 10, this is where she's up to, this is her antenatal history. You know, it's brief but it's, it's thorough enough that everybody's on the same page. Mm. Um, so be, like, be part of that process. Say what you want put in the handover it's not just a process for us you're actually Mm. meant to be a part of that so that we can keep the continuity as much as possible Mm. um i also think that sometimes you don't know what who you're getting and sometimes you know it happens with with me too like sometimes you'll click really really instantly with somebody and that rapport just builds instantly and other people for whatever reason um it's just a little bit more of a slow burn and that's fine and that's okay we can still work together but um that's where your support person knowing what their role is is so important so that if you do get a midwife that comes on and 
you know, fingers crossed this doesn't happen, but they <laughs> come in and they're like, right, what's going on in here? They turn on the lights and they kind of ruffle your feathers a little bit. Having your support person who can advocate for you, who knows what's working with you, who knows your plan, um, you're not relying on the midwife as much. They're still going to keep you safe and they're, of course, still going to do their job. But for from a support point of view and, and feeling like you've got some, someone's got your back, mm. you've got your partner there, they know exactly what to do. They can say, welcome, new midwife. We'd like to turn the lights down again, um, all of that kind of stuff. So it's really, really, really important that your support person is active so that you're not kind of relying on the, on the staff lucky dip. Um, I think the other thing is is that if you're getting lots of um, differing opinions, and this kind of goes into the postnatal as well because I know that that's a whole other kettle of fish, but often with breastfeeding, the, the biggest criticism is, oh, we've got so much conflicting advice, and it can happen in labour too. Just remember that your your labour is not um, static. It's it's a, a constantly changing um, situation. So if you're getting different advice don't straight away think that advice is wrong think okay maybe something's changed so maybe the baby's heart rate has changed or maybe we're in a different um we're in a different stage of labor where where different management options are, are more appropriate than others so again just coming back to that idea of we're collaborating we're a team it's not an us and a them it's trying to understand, okay, you know, the, the last midwife said it was okay if I got in the bath um, and you're saying that I, I can't get in, do you mind just explaining why? And they might just say very clearly, oh, look, your waters have broken and there's some blood in the waters and we're concerned that, um, you know, you're not safe for the bath or they might just say, I don't like doing water births. And you can quickly establish, you know, whether you need to go, oh, okay, that makes sense that, you know, you're worried about my baby's well-being. you know, for now we won't get in the bath, maybe we'll reassess in an hour. Or if it's like, okay, so you just don't want to, to you don't want me to get in the bath, maybe let's, let's unpack that a bit more. So, yeah, know that the, sometimes the change is, um, the changing advice is, is a good thing and it's, it's reflecting what's actually happening for you in your labour and then other times it's just a case of your partner needing to be that constant for you. And, yeah, um, yeah that's what I would say. And would you normally um, come in and tell a labour woman that you are about to leave? Like would it always be very, mm. like they'd be made aware that, it wouldn't just be a new midwife waltzing in and you go, oh, where's Beth gone? I, I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Would you I do. Yeah. It's my personal practice too. Not everybody does. I'll always go and say, like, thanks for letting me look after you, like, all the best. I'll try and come and check in on you tomorrow if I'm back or, you know, I'm not back for a few days, so congratulations in advance. Um, we're meant to do a bedside handover most of the time, so usually there's a... a time at the at the time of handover where we're both in the room yes. um sometimes you know if that doesn't suit you you can also advocate like if you've got a really quiet um serene space and you don't really want people talking in the corner you can say do you mind handing over outside that's okay as well yes. but yeah I think it's nice for women to to know who's looking after them as well not be blindsided by something new and you're like is Beth coming back or is she just yeah. bailed or like what's going on um and I'm quite transparent like so for example if I'm looking after someone who's in early labor and they maybe don't need me there the whole time and I can see that they've got a good little rapport with their their hubby or their partner going on I'll say to them guys you you look like you're in good space 
here's the buzzer. Mm. I'm watching your baby's heart rate from outside, but I'm I'm here if you need me. But I'm just going to let you guys have a cuddle, have a kiss, like enjoy the last, you know, few hours of just you. Um, but reassure them that once things ramp up, I also say I'm not going anywhere now. So mm. I'll let them know, like, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to dip, dip out again or yeah, I think just communicating so that they don't feel like confused. I'm like, where did they go? Yeah. Especially I imagine that if you do really enjoy someone's support, it could be quite um, derailing to then hear that they're no longer there and then you go, okay, you know, you've got to recenter yourself. Yeah. How many, yeah. I know this would be different for every hospital, but how many women are you managing at one time? Mm. so in the birth suite on paper if you are in active labor you should be getting one-to-one care um but part of the the chaos of maternity is that we can't book beds and we can't predict who's coming in so there will be occasions where um you know i do have someone that that would be probably benefit from my one-to-one support but the reality is is that someone's just walked through the door i was standing at the desk at the time you know you've got to kind of adapt and, and move and again just coming back to that so important to have a support person that's on their on their game because um occasionally that happens in these busy busy hospitals that things just um take take midwives away for an hour or so um but yeah in on paper we should be always staffed well enough and for the vast majority of time we are to um have one-to-one care in labor so i didn't know that i actually thought that um it would be much less than that so you're actually in the room or available to be in the room once you're in active labor with one should be we should be always yeah i mean things happen (laughs) i'm trying to think like my last few shifts that was definitely not the case (laughs) like i had my skates on running from room to room but um yeah like women we know that they do better from a physical and um, emotional point of view if they have continuous support from Mm. from a midwife or or someone um continuously whether that's a doula or a support person Mm. um so yeah it's actually written into the the legislation and it's a safety thing too like labor can change really quickly Mm. um and you know someone in early labor who's had a baby before can very quickly go into active labor into pushing their baby out so you know it's best if we're not um juggling our time between women but at the same time sometimes it's it's a little bit unavoidable yeah no i love that that's really interesting i've not been in that setting before so i it's like all Mm. totally new to me but um yeah that's that's really incredible i actually thought it would be much less contact than that um now i want to talk this is another great thing you spoke about on your instagram if and i will put all the links so everyone can go and check out all these (laughs) incredible things but um you spoke about language in birth and that also really resonated with me because i think there's a lot of really subtle language that can really change a woman's state and how they feel Mm -hmm. about their birth and how they're managing and one of the ones that stood out to me was instead of calling it a c-section surgery i think you said we call it a c-section birth and correct me if i'm wrong but i was like yes that is so subtle Mm -hmm. but you're taking a medicalized surgical word and making it it's birth like you birthed your baby yes. by a different route so could you um again if you don't know them off the top of your head that's fine but could you go through some of the common swaps that you would like to see in the the birthing and medical um language so yeah. that other women can adopt that for themselves 
Definitely. And it's, I feel really grateful because when I was training to be midwife, I had some very clear, um, our, our, our tutors and our, our course directors were so woman centered. And now I look back on it and I'm like, I love it. They said to us, like, to be a midwife, you have to be staunch feminist. And <laughs> they were amazing. And they were like, babies are not delivered. Pizzas are delivered. Girls, babies are born. And I, fully took it on I was I loved it and their passion like you know I don't know if anyone's heard of um a midwife called Carolyn Homer um and Alison Cummins but they're very well published amazing midwives and they were my I've now that I'm a midwife in the in the wide world I'm like wow what an amazing opportunity to learn from them but they they really set in my mind that language is so powerful and we have the opportunity to change the way that um women view their ability to give birth to their baby. So cesarean section, swapping out for cesarean birth is such an easy one and it's so true. It is absolutely birth in, you know, its rawest form. Um, babies are not, are not delivered, they're born. So you birth your baby as a midwife. I don't deliver your baby. You have birthed your baby. I'm there to keep everything as safe as it possibly can be. But everything that you achieved came from you. So that's another really common one. Um, I think little things like saying you're only two centimetres dilated or you're only five centimetres dilated can really plant the seed that it's not good enough. Mm. Um, and so saying, okay, Laura, wow, you're five centimetres dilated. Wow. Immediately. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> it just changes it. It's like, yeah, I am. And I've done that and I'm going to keep doing it. Um, I'm trying to think of my other, um, common ones. I think another one you had was instead of saying patient, you were saying Oh, mother. yes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, or woman or birthing person, depending on how they identify. Um, but, yeah, so patient insinuates that you're sick, that you need our help, that you need treatment and that pregnancy is a diagnosis. Mm. None of that is true, okay? So, like, pregnancy is is a significant but normal part of most women's lives or if you choose for it to be or if, you know, you are pregnant. Um, and, yes, complications can pop up and we're very, very well-placed to deal with those. But for the vast majority of women, if we leave you alone and you're healthy heading into pregnancy, you and your baby will be well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, like I said, I, I think of it like we, there's this huge spectrum of normal and our job is just to like usher you through. Like you don't have to be one thing or the other. It's just kind of like keeping you in the very, very broad parameters of safety. Mm. Um, slightly off topic, but I was just thinking about it then because I was going to make a joke about how these women might come into the birth suite and be like, do not call me patient, call me birthing goddess. <laughs> they should. <laughs> they should come in with those, like, um, bride, you know, like the hens do. <laughs> Sashes. <laughs> I was just thinking, though, in terms of birth plans, mm. as a midwife, you feel like, or birth preferences, um, it is really helpful for women to come in whether it's printed out or whether it's just in their mind, are you encouraging a woman to have birth plans or birth preferences? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, I'm not, I, I love what you said earlier about fluidity. It's so, so important that you recognise that birth is dynamic and that 
while there's so much about our headspace that we can try to control, there's also some things that are out of our control and they're called, I call them what ifs. So Mm. it's like you had a what if and it happened. Mm. Um, But I read something so good the other day that said, you know, write the birth plan or someone else will write it for you. And I think that that is so, so true. If you have no... It's like if you stand for nothing, what is it like if you stand stand for something or stand for nothing or one of those kind of like sayings. and it's, everything, yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of that thing of like it's not about having the birth plan because the birth plan might not actually come to fruition. It's about researching your options and putting down in a concise way either in your head, on your phone or on a piece of paper for the midwives just some things that are important to you and some things that you want to strive towards and things that you want to be supported in. Mm. And whether they come, you know, you have not failed. If you don't tick the boxes on your birth plan, that is no reflection of of a positive or a negative birth. Mm. Um, But it just means that you have made a concerted effort to understand the options available to you and when to ask for them and how to use them. And overall, that's going to contribute to a more positive birth. Yeah, I love that. I really like that. I think some people feel funny about creating a birth plan because it may look too forward, like too pushy or too suggestive. But I, I think you've described that really, really well. Hey mamas, Laura here and I really hope you love that episode as much as I did. I know that I personally struggle with asking questions or declining medical advice as I'm a recovering people pleaser (laughs) and I also find that I struggle to find a middle ground between being passive and quiet versus getting quite aggressive. (laughs) I think Beth just presents these situations so well so the way she speaks is so respectful and calm and I think it's a great script to take away when you're next in a conversation with your birth team that requires you to ask questions or consider interventions or the options laid out in front of you. So if you'd like to learn more from Beth, you can find her on Instagram at birthwithbeth. And I would love to hear from you over on my socials at PhysioLaura and let me know whether you learn anything new from this episode today. Now, in the next few episodes of this Ask the Midwife series, we will be chatting with Beth about the things to consider when setting up a postpartum support plan and the practical steps you should take to make sure you are not overwhelmed after birth. The questions to ask and things to know about when it comes to your C-section birth preferences, inductions, vaginal examinations, the pros and cons of both, and so much more. Now, if you haven't already, just subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you don't miss our upcoming episodes in this wonderful series. And if you love today's episode and you want to watch the next three episodes in this Ask the Midwife series, you can find this entire series along with all our other podcast series live right now inside the Pregnancy Posse. For most series of the podcast, we also record exclusive bonus content for Pregnancy Posse members. And in the bonus member only episode for this Ask the Midwife series, Beth talks us through her top three essential items to pack in your hospital bag, ways in which your partner can best support you during birth, managing a posterior labor and the lowdown on epidurals. Inside the Pregnancy Posse, you'll also find weekly guided pregnancy workouts, an extensive resources library on birth preparation, pelvic floor exercises, and managing pregnancy pains and injuries, plus a wonderful community forum and weekly Q&A sessions with me. Now, I would love to help you have a wonderful pregnancy, birth, and postnatal experience. So just visit thepregnancyposse.com to see what the Pregnancy Posse is all about and to trial it for seven days. 
I will catch you soon for episode four in this six-part Ask the Midwife series where we'll be chatting about setting up the ultimate postpartum support plan and the things to consider whilst you're still pregnant so that you're not overwhelmed after birth. Until then, mamas, sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes and enjoy the incredible journey that is pregnancy.